Uh, you're here for an e another episode of No Driving Gloves, I hope. If not, uh, you better check your iTunes or your podcaster account. Podcast I'm here. Account. <laughs> I got Will. Me too. Oh, me too. Got, me too. And, and there's Derek. Everybody's here. I think we'll go ahead and instead of recapping what we've done this week, uh, there's kind of a, a big thing happened. That, uh, I'm going to be honest. As I said on Facebook, my personal Facebook, I got no problem with uh Tesla autopilot anymore. If you can land two solid rocker boosters in unison on the ground and put a car in orbit on the way to Mars, um, hats off to you, Elon, and I'm sure glad I used to use PayPal. And either one of you guys see that Falcon 3 launch this week? Dude, my, my mind was blown, man. Uh, I, it was... Actually, I just sat down in my chair... I'd been out in the shop working, come in to order some parts and just scrolling through Facebook. And I'd actually forgotten about it. And somebody had shared a live feed and I went, and got everybody in the freaking shop and we sat there and watched the whole thing. And, you know, at the first I'm like, you know, this is pretty cool. That's a big rocket with a car in it. Biggest rocket in history. I mean, the things. Yeah. Like. Times no, 10 or something twice, like that. Twice as powerful as the Saturn Vs that took us to the moon. Yeah, there you go. And and so we're sitting there watching it, and, and then I realized, I'm like, oh, this is the heavy. The boosters are going to break off of it and land. And, dude, when them things landed, uh, my mind was just blown. I'm like, I mean, what? wow. I mean, <laughs> there, there's no words to, for it. It's just, it's completely insanely crazy that they landed perfectly on the X and within seconds of yeah, each that's, other. That's what I mean. You can get two solid rocker, rocket boosters to land in unison. Uh, that, that was probably one of the coolest space things I've ever seen. Uh, one of the Facebook comments I saw, a gentleman was there and he was alive and he he's old enough that, you know, so it makes him older than me. He remembers the moon landings, and he said that yesterday blew those out of the water. Now, unfortunately, he lost the center section. That didn't quite go as planned. It, it missed its landing point. But hey, for, for the first go, and then to do the, the, the cute little, to go ahead and jokingly put a Tesla Roadster with, uh, well, I can't, the Starman in it, listening to... Uh, David Bowie all the way to uh, Mars. It's uh, you got to admit, there's a little bit of humor in that, and I kind of liked it being a Lotus guy and a Lotus engineering guy because you know the Tesla Roadster is based off the Lotus Elise, so we can I can vicariously say that you know Lotus is the first car in space. Lotus is a, one of the few cars that has ever been made into a submarine. Lotus used to own a boat company. Colin Chapman experimented with personal sport aviation, and they were the first client of Scaled Composites, which is Burt Rutan's company that ended up building the Voyager spacecraft that flew around the world nonstop. I mean, it doesn't seem to matter. Lotus, a company that has yet to turn a profit in 70 years of existence, um, if, you know, depending what anniversary, I believe Lotus was founded in 1948. Some people will say 1950. But in 68 or 70 years of ex existence, they've done it all when it comes to transportation. And hey, 
first car in space and planning to drive it to Mars, first car on Mars, beat that. Now, are are they going to land the car on Mars? Is that the, plan? the, the goal is to orbit, orbit Mars. Mars. I right? did read an article that they might have missed by one or two degrees, and they're sending it into the asteroid belt, and it's going to miss Mars. But okay, I, I'll settle for being the first car to the asteroid <laughs> belt. <laughs> That's close to enough. Send Call a it two thousand pound electric car all the way to Mars, yeah, or beyond. I imagine it's probably out of warranty by now. Because that was Elon's personal car, I think, right? I don't know if it was his personal car or what, but you know, the the Roadster is what launched Tesla, and is what's given us the Model Three and the Model X, and you know, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It says right here, SpaceX Falcon Heavy rocket blast. Elon Musk personal Tesla into solar orbit. So yeah, so that was his personal car. Clearly I couldn't I couldn't crank my TV up enough to get it running, so I obviously missed all it of this. It wasn't on your but... TV, it was on your computer. Oh, is that my problem? Yeah. <laughs> it should have been on your yeah. watch. I mean, come <laughs> on. Clearly I've been too busy with life. And I completely missed all of this. Now, I, I did hear a little bit about it and saw a few pictures, but I don't know all the details. I, I heard it was happening, and oh, go, oh, big deal, it's another rocket launch. And then the guys at work grabbed me about 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon and said, you got to see this. <laughs> and I've been in awe ever since, and I got to work this morning, and another another coworker came up and he said, did you see this? Some guy filmed it from like a mile away on his phone. And to watch those things land with that remote video. That was crazy, ain't it? I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure most of our listeners have seen it. You know, I've got ties and, you know, at one point in my life, I, you know, helped with the Saturn V uh, rocket preser- preservation in Huntsville. That's what got me to Alabama. I think I lived most of my high school as a space cadet, you know, just kind of out there in my own world, but still a space cadet. My brother was a space camp attendee back in the early days of space camp. So I, I just love space. I love, it's nice to see, you know, Musk stepping up and Bezios stepping up and Richard Branson stepping up and these, you know, world billionaires that have more money than they know what to do with saying, Hey, we, we need to explore. We need to re- reach for the stars. And as a Star Trek fan, you know, I'm just, I'm in awe. So, so how long do you think it'll be before they start taking people to space for, like, say, vacation? Well, they've already sold seats on... Richard Branson's already sold seats for Virgin Galactic to do it. For them to actually do it, I would say you're going to see it within 10 years. I mean, it's... Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. You probably see... You might see it within five you know, I, I can't say I've paid too much attention to Branson's space program. Maybe one of our listeners has. Again, thank you for you guys for doing it. Um, it needs to be done. Space is out there. It's it, The older I get, the more I realize how big space is. You know, like I say, I can go on and on and on and on. I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm not a Star Wars fan. It's all about exploration and learning and knowledge. And that's why we do the podcast. You know, here we are talking about space, but that's why we do the, I think all three of us do the podcast to teach and to explore and to, you know, pass on knowledge. 
and that's what space does for us. And we can talk about space now because there's a car in freaking space, man. I think we should also consider the fact, because we've been talking about this on the show, the first car in space is an electric car. There you go. It should be. It, it is should not be. internal combustion. It should be. Well, well I mean, exactly. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. So, is the 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 vehicle that drove around on the moon would that not be the first vehicle? I don't think place? you can call that a. You can't call that well, a car. It is a vehicle. Uh, let's let's say the first. Well, in, in theory, that the lunar lander or rover would collapse on Earth. Because, you know, the tire, the tires on it are wire mesh that are designed to exist in that gravity, and supposedly it would collapse under its own weight if they actually use those tires on Earth or something. But no, I'm not, I'm not going to count that. I'm sorry. That, that, that's The car in space right now drove the California highways. L- Lunar Lantern never well, did. You're right. Now, in Derek's argument, I don't think an internal combustion engine operates very well in an oxygen-free environment. <laughs> well, there was a there was a little bit of sarcasm in that, but you know, but of course where are you going to recharge your uh, electric vehicle in space? Solar panels in the sun. You probably can do it twice twice there as fast go. too. <laughs> no <laughs> damn atmosphere. Let's go ahead and kind of bring this back to Earth, and we'll we'll get talking. This is supposed to be on collector cars, or this podcast is talking about the collector car hobby, not necessarily. Of course, I imagine that Tesla in space, that Tesla in space at Barry Jackson would bring a couple of bucks. I was going to say, I think we know the most collectible Tesla um, in existence right now. Barry Jackson, Mars, 2032. <laughs> But we we were, and it's kind of where the topic is for today. We were going to talk about, and I can I, I worded it so well when I brought it up to the guys, and I keep forgetting it is um, does it make sense to restore or even build a car when the end product will leave you upside down? And it was brought about by an article that I forwarded uh, everybody today, and I'll link link on the Facebook page about a Marmon that's for sale. Well, for $10,000, that if you restored, best case scenario, you're going to have 50 or 60 into, and the nicest one in the world might bring realistically 20 or 25,000, I guess, according to the article. Derek can fill us in a little bit more on that. And supposedly there's one for sale for 35, but it's been for sale for a while at 35. So obviously they're not worth 35. But is it? worth doing a car like that and that that's kind of the question i know wills on uh has one argument Derek has another i kind of have my argument or discussion points and it, it kind of goes back to i think the purpose of the restoration but Derek, can you fill us in a little bit on say the the marmon history based around the article for the inspiration for the topic and uh we'll go from there because i believe you do own one of these same models too i actually do thanks for remembering that john it's very very meaningful hey i i do that. pay attention every now and then just like i work just like i work every now and then by the way i had like 28 28 <laughs> hours of restoration last week i built for, so. <laughs> so yeah so what this is is a 1929 
and really the article in in my opinion and and of course here comes the the history nerd is not quite right because it's actually a 1929 Roosevelt by Marmon. Uh, they attempted to kind of make a, a cheaper brand of Marmon. Uh, they were kind of seeing the way things were going uh, financially in the United States. The things were were looking good for a while and then started looking really bad and the stock market crashed, of course, in 1929. So they actually, the way I usually compare it is for people to think of, say, like Ford bringing out the Edsel. They were trying to bring out a whole new line of car, automobile. Uh, and this was going to be the affordable line of Marmons. They were going to be called the Roosevelt, named after Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, they actually had a cameo of Teddy Roosevelt as their radiator badge. And it was actually quite successful for Marmon because Marmon was known really for higher end automobiles. Uh, they were not quite Auburn. Well, they were kind of on par with, let's say, Auburn automobiles. Duesenbergs and Cords were a little quite a bit more expensive than Marmons, but Marmons were a very high-end, quality-built automobile, and this was a car that was supposed to get them into the little bit cheaper range. It was the first straight-eight automobile in the United States to sell for under $1,000. If you picked it up at factory, which you could do back then, it was $995, and it came out, it came without front or rear bumpers. But if they had to ship it to a dealership, by law, they had to put a front and rear bumper on it. Uh, so that brought it up over $1,000. They're a fantastic car. There's a great story behind the Roosevelt and what Marmon was attempting to do with the Roosevelt. They're a quality-built car because they come out of Marmon. Around, I mean, they're, they're a good running car. They're a great tour car essentially if you were to want to have a, a late 20s car uh, to drive on tours and and the cool thing about late 20s cars you get into the mid 20s into the late 20s if you restore a car like this be it a, a roosevelt or any other car of that time period that should be a car you can jump in start and drive across the united states and back and not have an issue you got to do it a little slower than modern cars but uh, they are a modern automobile in all senses. All of that history being said, all of that kind of being looked at, the car, you know, it, it's starting bid on, I think it's eBay that it's listed, if I recall correctly. You know, you've got a $10,000 starting bid. It's a fairly original car, but the original surfaces, most of them, at least in pictures, it does not appear to be a car that would be a preservation option on the car. You might be able to preserve some of the original finishes, but this car you're really looking at probably having to do a restoration on and, and really to make it look good and be what it needs to be. And as John said, you know, these cars, even though they got a cool story, this isn't a, a high-end Marmon from the teens or 20s or even the early 1900s this is not the you know 80 to 100,000 plus marmon automobile this is the cheap affordable marmon and right now they are they're selling maybe if you're lucky you have one of the 
really highly well, you know, well restored ones. Um, you know, uh, the one my dad and I own is, uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn here or my dad's, you know, but it's, it's been restored to be a very good car. I mean, it's probably better than it rolled out of factory. It's still maybe a 28 to $30,000 car for my dad and I, uh, you know, obviously we have the ability to do the restoration. So labor isn't really a cost that we wind up having to pay, but to us, it's more about the car. We collect cars. You know, we're not necessarily doing it to buy it, restore it, flip it, sell it, uh, and and make money on it. So the way I approach this, and when when we all started first talking about this through text and things like that, I immediately just said, "Yeah, it's worth it because I want to have the car if it's a car I like and I want in my collection." That's the way I'm going to look at it. I'm not going to look at it as I'm sinking a ton of money into it. I'd rather just have the car, enjoy the car, and know that I own it and can take it out and and drive it and experience it and just enjoy everything about it. So, you know, this, this Roosevelt listed on eBay and, and through, I think that was Barn Find uh, that did a, yeah, Barn Finds that did the article on it. It's definitely... And this goes back to, I think, some of our previous episodes as well, where you've really got to think about the price of the car, the condition of the car, and what you're going to be putting into it. And you have to make that decision on if it's worth it to you uh, for the vehicle that you're looking at. I, you know, I see it. I see it from both ways. You know, I'm in business where the business that I'm in, if you come to me for me to build you a car, you will not get the money. You you might get the money back, but that's a long shot. But you sure as heck aren't going to make any money. If I if Big Oak Garage or any professional shop that does what we do, you have to do it because that's something that you really want and you want to be different than the guy next to you and you're willing to pay what it costs to have that done. On a personal side, I'm in the car industry to make money, to pay my bills, to you know take my kids on vacation, whatever. So when, when I personally look at a vehicle, I'm looking to turn a profit. There are some vehicles out there, yes, that I would be willing to put more money in it than it's worth, just for the sheer fact of sentimental value, I really like the vehicle. I won't ever get rid of it, so to speak. Uh, but 90% of the time when, I, when I'm when i looking to build me a, a vehicle for myself, it is, it is to turn around and make money on it. Um, there's been times where I've started projects in the shop for myself, sold it before I finished it to a customer and finished it for a customer. Um, there's been times where I've built vehicle for myself, drove it for a couple of years, um, and then sold it. So, uh, that's kind of generally how I look at things. Um, everything I got's for sale. I'm one of those guys. So, um, always, always looking to make a little bit, uh, whether I build it, whether I just buy it and don't touch it, 
and sell it. I mean, I've, I've bought cars and never seen them and sold them and made money on it. So, you know, it's just, it's just what I do. So uh, I'm in the industry to make money and that's what I try to do. So John, what's, uh, what's your take on this whole deal? I think I can go a little bit either way, but the restore historian in me says they all need to be saved. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, you have to make, you know, make a decision on I've done restorations working in a professional shop for private individuals that made absolutely no sense dollar wise, where you have a car that would sell for $20,000 when it's finished that the owner has $150,000 into. But they're just as ecstatic because that car means something to them. So the the real the question is, is it okay to restore even if you're going to be upside down? It kind of goes back to the statement I, I make, uh, expenses proportionate to income. It It doesn't doesn't matter as long as you're comfortable with spending that much money. If you're looking at it from Will's perspective and whether you're you're a shop building a car and you're going to resell it, I guess not Will's perspective, say a Richard Rawlings perspective in a um, gas monkey garage where you're building a car to flip it, then it matters. You make your money buying it. You, you do the work as cheap as possible and as quickly as possible. And usually quickly is the key thing because labor is what kills you. It's not the parts. And you, that way you can flip it and make a few dollars on it. When you're building a car for somebody, it's a customer's decision on the end. How upside down does he want to be? Because you said, I've had drastic restorations that you won't make money on. I uh, would bet some of the, you know, the hot rods and street rods and custom cars and restro rods that are out there. You're not going to make your money back on. Some of those are performing a lot better in recent auctions, but that's still the fact of the matter. They're not going to necessarily make you a profit. I have always lived my car hobby life with kind of the belief that you do it for fun. If you make some money, great. If you're getting into the cars for money, play the stock market, buy gold. It's just, you got a better chance of making money. Uh, you know, cars should be done to me for an enjoyment and passion. And all that talking in circles and stuff. Yeah. As long as you're comfortable with the money that you're spending on that car, and I'm talking on a personal personal level, great, do it. Um, pers- you know, and, and I, I face the same dilemmas. There's a, a car that I can see me getting in the future because it's been in the family for a period of time. The value of the car doesn't make sense. The car hasn't been used in almost two decades. So it's going to need gone through. It's probably going to take fifteen to $20,000 worth of work. And I can probably buy the same car running driving for $25,000, $27,000. So to me, it makes more sense to spend twenty, twenty, you know, twenty-five, twenty-seven thousand dollars, and have it now because I'm an instant gratification person. 
The only flip side is the emotional attachment because this car has been in the family for many, many, many years. Do I put the money into the car because of that emotional attachment? And it all depends. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, John, I think, you know, we're kind of all saying similar things. You know, Will's looking at it from that business perspective, that the profit perspective that he has to he owns a business uh, you know and you kind of gave that both sides of the story and of course here i am just sitting here going yeah yeah duh i mean collect all the cool cars kind of like you said john save them all um oh, you, you make that big corvette money so oh yeah you know um but it it kind of made me and, and it might be getting a little off uh, on a tangent for this topic but it it kind of popped something into my head that I maybe haven't ever really dug deep into or thought deeply into, which is, yeah, we talk about, yeah, save them all. But then we also talk about, you know, will and, and restoration shops and people, you know, do you want to wind up upside down in a car? And again, I haven't maybe fully fleshed this out in my head yet, but there are all these cars out there like this Roosevelt that's now up on eBay. And oddly, I just ran a, a search too. There's another Roosevelt, a, a Victoria uh, Coupe for sale for 13500 right now on eBay. So $3,500 more running, driving, older restoration car that you literally could get in and drive away versus this one that needs all kinds of work. But what what are we as the collector car community and, and the people that are in this hobby or this profession? You know, it is, it is a big goal of ours to try to save this history and save these cars. But what do we do with these cars that are going, you're going to wind up upside down in and, and nobody buys them? We don't, in my opinion, you know, if this car doesn't get sold on eBay for the 10 grand, because it's honestly too much for the car. I don't want to see the guy send it to the scrapyard. So what do we do about all of these cars that maybe the current owners think they have something unique and rare and special and it's worth $500,000 when it's really worth five hundred? How do we, How do we save those cars? How do we convince those people that maybe it is not what they think it is and really to save it you got to get the price down does that is that is that making sense to you guys like yeah where I, I, what where this is in my head right now i've never really stopped and thought well how can we make sure that it becomes more reasonable to buy these cars and you don't wind up as upside down in them well i i'm not i'm not going to try to knock anybody that has a car that's trying to sell it but if you're going to sell a car and you really want to, you need to educate yourself on really what that car is worth. Not what somebody told you that, that, that stopped to see if it was for sale five years ago on the side of the road. You need to really educate yourself about what your car is worth. Now, we're in the industry. We have a pretty good idea of 
just about roughly what most cars, vintage cars are worth. Just by the era, year, make, model, whatever. We all, three of us, pretty can guess pretty close. But somebody that don't know, well, it's, it's an old car. I've never heard of it before. It's got to be worth a ton of money. That's what they think. And they watch Barrett Jackson. And they see these cars bringing four, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars that oh it my car looked kind of like that right there. It's gotta be worth that much too. You know? They see stuff like that, but they really don't educate themselves on what their vehicle is really worth. And ultimately that's what it is. They think it's worth more than what it is because that's A, somebody told them that or they saw it on some TV show or whatever. See, but I can't blame the seller for that. Uh, I ask way too much money for a lot of the stuff I put up for sale. Sometimes I sell it, sometimes I don't. But there was a meme that came out just just after Barrett Jackson or just after the Arizona Auction Weeks. I'm sure a lot of us saw it on Facebook. That And we might even have mentioned it on last week's podcast. That said, oh, get ready, Craigslist warning. Uh, every $1,000 car is now going to be $15,000 for the next two months because they saw it on Barrett Jackson. And that, that's the extent some people do research is, oh, I saw, you know, a Ford, say a Ford Tempo sell on Barrett Jackson for, you know, $10,000. So my Ford Tempo has got to be worth $10,000. Yeah, it doesn't happen. But it, it goes back to the core rule, which we've said on the show before, and we've probably even said in this episode before, you make your money buying the car. It's the buyer's responsibility to know what the car is worth. It's not necessarily the buyer's responsibility to educate the seller, but uh, as an experienced buyer, you should be able to, to get the idea if that guy's going to be negotiable, if he's asking $10,000 for his Marmon or he's asking $10,000 for his tempo. For some reason, I'm really on tempos today. I did um, I did see one for sale on the 1993 Tempo Sport. I think it was on Bring a Trailer today also, but it's just a difference. But the seller need, you know, needs to kind of have a realistic expectation, even if he's asking crazy money, but it, it's still the, the buyer's responsibility to not pay too much, and that's what preserves, or do I want to say preserves? That's where the money's made. And whether or not you're buying that. Okay, yeah, I, I I agree with you there, John. But I guess my question is, yes, the seller has to, or, or the buyer, uh, you know, we have to be educated. We have to know, you have to be a responsible buyer. But when you're dealing with, uh, Mike, you know, I and and like I said, I, I don't know if it's fleshed out enough yet. When you deal with one of these stubborn sellers that thinks they have the ten thousand dollar tempo and it's you know whatever a thousand dollar tempo, let's say. I guess my question is, how do we as the collector car community attempt to make that person realize? what they actually have, what it's actually worth, and make sure that that history, because a lot of these guys, you go up and you start talking to them and they say, well, if I can't get that much, I'm just sending it to scrap. 
how do we protect that vehicle from going to the scrapyard and being cut up into pieces and shredded? Is it an issue with the current market situation with places like Barrett-Jackson and some of the big auctions that are televised the way they are that hype up that these cars are worth, in all, uh, in, in my opinion, more than they actually should be worth? You know, some people are just hard-headed and stubborn and there ain't nothing you're going to be able to do. Well, I'm not talking about you, you know? Will. I'm I mean, talking about other people. <laughs> No, you know, I'm believe it or not, I'm the direct opposite. If I got something that I'd planning on I'd plan on building that's got put on the back burner and somebody comes up and I know they're gonna build it, by God, it's gone. You know. Um, that's just the way I am about it. But you know, like I said, some people just they don't care. You know, they'll 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 let it sit there and rot. And they just they don't care. I mean, I've I've seen it. It's it's happening everywhere. You know, oh, I'm gonna fix it up one day, or I'll take this much money for it, and that's all I'll take. Well, it's just gonna sit there, you know, because somebody's gonna go right down the road and get another one that's similar to it for less money. So, you know, unfortunately, I don't have an answer. I don't think there is anything that you can do to that stubborn old man or old lady or or grandchild that was their granddad's car or whatever, you know? I don't know. I I don't have an answer, but I don't I don't really think there's much you can do in that situation. No, there there are those people out there that think their car or whatever piece of you know it happens with dining room sets in china and everything else they think it's worth x number of dollars because american pickers you know had it for that or because you know their best friend's sister's cousin twice removes nephew happened to sell one at the estate sale for you know ungodly amounts of money but it's you're never going to get around those and that, that kind of stuff. You just have, you go up, you make your offer and you stick to your offer. And I always believe, you know, you might not get it and the next guy, next guy might not get it, but a guy maybe 28 down the road would get it because this person's going to say my $10,000 widget is, well, nobody's offering me more than a thousand dollars for it. So maybe I'll take two. And then somebody will come along and maybe give that too. Or it's going to sit and rot and go away. And unfortunately, maybe that, you know, that's the destiny is that this person just got the, I'm going to say the artifact or the object in question. And that object was meant to die. Um, it just didn't happen to have a car accident and be crushed or go to cash for clunkers or get, you know, if it's a piece of jewelry, drop down the drain. You just, you know, some people that are unreasonable and hopefully that that object will survive long enough to pass down to certain heirs. But Will's right. I've, you know, driven by the same car parked in the same yard for 10 years with a for sale sign on it. And for some reason that doesn't sell. And the only reason something doesn't sell after a decade is because the money being asked is ridiculous. There's a... uh 
quote, restoration shop that's 50 miles from me here. And he's, if you're in the kit car world, you probably know what I'm talking about. This guy has one of the most impressive collections of 60s and 70s fiberglass kit car bodies and kit car objects that you've ever seen. And just in the last couple of years, he's realized, hey, I'm I'm going to die. I need to do some stuff with this. And his prices have become reasonable. He had six Lotus Elite E-Clots on his lot. And then I stopped by to talk to him about one day. And, it, you know, it was kind of hit or miss if you'd ever see him there. But he was there one day. And I went up and approached him. And, he, you know, he kind of wanted $50,000 for the lot. And at the time, six Lotus elites and the we're talking 70s era elites we're not talking 1959 elites six of them might in perfect perfect running condition might have been worth seven grand a piece so forty thousand forty two thousand dollars not fifty thousand dollars for six parts cars and one of them leaned up against a building on a bronco chassis uh it just and and he finally has come down to some reasonable prices but he scared so many people away that a lot of those cars are going to be junked. A lot of those cars sat outside as unpainted fiberglass for a decade, two decades, however long. And there's nothing left of them other than a shape. If you tried to pick them up and move them, you're just going to have a handful of crumpled fiberglass. As historically valuable as some of these vehicles are, some are probably the only one of this kit car or that car ever left. It's now written off to history, but, you know, history dictates there were 3,200, there's been 3,200 car manufacturers and over 6,000 motorcycle manufacturers. And there's not an example of each of these manufacturers still in existence because they get lost. And that unmoving seller, in my opinion, is just means that artifact lost. And you just have to give up on it until that owner goes away. Now, see, neither of you gave the answer I was looking for. I gave you the answer. No, I said the answer I was looking for. Oh, oh. Which is our listeners keep, you know, sharing our show, our podcast with other people, and eventually we educate everyone on how this works. Because they listen to our podcast. You know, I, I thought about that, but I wasn't going to say it because it's ultimately their responsibility to educate themselves. You can't educate somebody if they don't want to be educated. So I've talked to some of your teachers, I mean, we, Will. I, I know. They, they told me the same thing. <laughs> there, there you go. See, w once I finally got out of college and I'm like, dude, I might really need to learn how to do this. <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, so ultimately, I mean, we can shove no driving gloves down everybody's throat. But if they don't want to listen, it's just going to go in one ear and out the other, you know. So, I mean, that would be all great and wonderful. But, you know, to that hard-headed guy. He's not going to listen to anybody. So, unfortunately, some of them are just going to go to waste, you know. 
Return um, to the Earth. But then again, well, you can look at it this way. It may be recycled into that Tesla that's in going to Mars right now. Repurposed. That might have been a little far-fetched, but it could be true. <laughs> They'll be used to colonize Mars. <laughs> there you go. All old cars, ship them to Mars. Hey, maybe we need to maybe we need to open up the first restoration slash hot rod shop on Mars. Well, see there if if what Bob Lutz says becomes true, where we're not going to be able to drive our cars here on Earth, we can go make a driving planet on Mars. Yeah, there it has go. virtually no atmosphere. There we go. No, wait, Done. Mars has an atmosphere because we can live there supposedly. As I say, it has virtually no atmosphere, so we won't have to worry about polluting it with our internal combustion engines that are oxygen deprived. Well, it's just we're we're gonna have to tune the carburetors, fuel injection a little bit, but we'll get it there. Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll 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 assemble a group of guys that are pretty knowledgeable and we'll just go. You think Elon would take us up there? For enough for enough money, Elon would do anything you needed. Yeah, but he's gonna be the he's gonna be the owner of the company. We're just gonna work for Elon. Being that he's like the one that could get us there. Well, I but he'd probably just want us to have electric cars up there. I don't know that he'd let us take Okay, it. we still gotta restore electric cars. Well, too. it's true, but well, yeah, I mean I guess yeah, we could bring some early electrics up there and have some fun. So I'm good with that. We can we can we, we can LS swap a Tesla. <laughs> Unless Mars has a vast oh, oil God. reserves under the surface. That's true. Oh. If it does, we're we're set. And I, Maybe I that's like what we need to do. LS powered Tesla too. <laughs> yeah, we can run them off steam if there's water. Hmm. All right, so we're moving to Mars. Let's go. Are we going to change our names? Are we going to stay uh, Will, John, and Derek? We can also have the first podcast from Mars. Guys, uh, well, the problem is, is the cars that we're going to restore and finish on Mars are going to well exceed their value. We're going to be upside down in them. So did we just conclude that it's, to get this thing back on topic, (laughs) did we just conclude that it's okay to invest more than what a car is going to be worth? To serve a purpose, whether it be a start now, whether <laughs> start now, because eventually we'll be manufacturing our own cars on Mars, but we got to have something to drive while we're getting it ready. Plus, we don't know what or who else is out there and what they already have on their planet. So maybe in oh. the future. Earth automobiles will become highly collectible on other planets. Yeah. Going back to our Tesla and driving through space with Starman, listening to um, uh, David Bowie. It's also supposed to have a copy of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in it. I believe it has a Don't, Don't Panic bumper sticker on it. And a towel in the glove box. So as I read on Facebook today from one of my friends, when this car does finally encounter alien culture, they're going to read it 
They're going to know our poetry as being Volon poetry. They're going to wonder about a towel, and I don't know if it's a good thing for us to encounter the the superior life forms and beings. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you, if somebody's got a towel in their glove box, (laughs) I ain't touching it. You you need to read uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You, You never go anywhere without a towel. (laughs) <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. But I ain't touching somebody else's towel. I don't know if this podcast went the direction we wanted it to go. <laughs> you well, you I guys started that, it out with I space. think the name of I think the name of it needs to be We Went Out There. Or we're <laughs> Just Out There. <laughs> yeah, just out there. <laughs> Off by In two more degrees. ways than one. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, needless to say, to bring this back around, don't invest your money getting upside down in an ant- antique or classic car. Put that money into going into outer space and the future of space travel. There we go then I'd be out of business. I guess I need to start building rockets. I would say invest in SpaceX or Tesla, but Tesla had just reported yesterday its largest loss ever. So, But their stock's probably up even in the midst midst of the market collapse of this past week. But uh, as I say, you know, they put a, they put a car in space. It's, it's They're going to turn around. Yeah, they... I guess I would look at the moral of this story as I think we've determined don't invest in cars and spend whatever you think the car is worth to you and don't worry about the resale because it's just who's ever inheriting your estate who's going to get the money and too bad. The best bumper sticker, I'm spending my grandkids' inheritance. So There you go. Whatever makes you happy is what you should do whether it's spend more money than it's worth. I mean, we go out and buy a new television or a new washer, a new dryer, anything like that. You think it's going to be worth what you paid for it as soon as you walk out of the store with it? No. So, you know, I mean, do what makes you happy with your car. If you want to spend more on it than it's worth, do it. If you're in it for making money, uh, then buy them cheap and sell them high, baby. Everything depreciates, and I can't think of a hobby, really, that, you know, if you're into computers, and like you said, you buy a computer, it's obsolete in a couple of years, or you're into video games, whatever, it, Every everything depreciates, so. Yep. There you go. All right, I'm tired. I want to say, with that, we kind of, I think, stumbled our way across the finish line. It's been a long marathon. But to Mars and back. Like I was gonna yep. say, but we put a car in space. We, so with that, guys, I'm I'm out of here. Good night. See you later. Later, Tater. <laughs>